want me to introduce it, or do you want to have a, a go? No, 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 you, you do go for it. Me? Why? Okay. <laughs> well, you, you did choose it. I did choose it. That's true. Okay. Uh, right. <coughs> me, 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 me. me. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the DMs Book Club, <laughs> a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our campaigns. With me again, third time's the charm, is the lovely, wonderful Sam. Sam, Aww. Sam, Sam, Sam. How are you? How are you, my friend? I'm very well. Lockdown, lockdown, lockdown. Same old, same old. <laughs> location, location, location. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing really well. Well, again, better for seeing you because obviously, you know, we see each other uh, mostly through the online format of Zoom most weeks. So that's that's been nice. And hanging out and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's it. What a, what a way to bring down the podcast. Well, yeah. <laughs> well. Let's start with something more positive. So, Sam, do you want to know what I've brought you into the Zoom call to talk about today? <laughs> what have you chosen today, Fiona? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so, the reason I kind of wanted to talk about this particular topic with you, Sam, is that. I feel like you and I, when we create characters, we like looking for different things. There's a mixture of, oh, let's see what kind of stats you can get and build it up from that. But also, I think both of us really do like a good character arc or a character story. And I think in these three races that I've chosen to look at for us to discuss today, each one of them have the potential to have some really, really good role-playing aspects. I don't know whether or not they would be good if you were trying to min-max or, or anything like that at all, but I think if you were coming in, into a game of D&D through a storytelling perspective and you weren't entirely sure what to do, but you knew you didn't want to be the sort of classical elf, dwarf, gnome or human, you're like, well, what else is there? And I think these three races can do it. So we're looking at the Volo's Guide to Monsters. The three races we're looking at today are Furbolds, which I believe that's the pronunciation, unless you've got a different pronunciation. Okay, you're just nodding. I, I... That's how I've been saying it. Okay, Fur good. Furbolds. Furbolds, I think so. Furbolds, which is spelled F-I-R-B-O-L-G. Sorry, I was really struggling to S. think of S. Oh, yes, S. <laughs> Very good at plurals. Uh, so Furbolds, Kenku and Triton. So three very different types of races. So Sam, do you have any experience with these? Have you made any characters with them or have you read them in any detail at all before this? Um, not really. I mean, Furbolgs have become, I mean, we're both watchers of Critical Role, so the Furbolgs and Kenko have become quite a thing now because mm. of that. So uh, Talison playing as uh, one of the tall, nature-loving, vengeful tree-hugger folk. <laughs> and, uh, and then they have Kenku in there. But apart from that, I haven't really used them or played with them. I suppose, actually, our very first D&D game together had Kenkus in it, didn't it? It did. Very, that's the first time I'd ever heard of them at all. I had no idea what they were. So actually seeing them being played was uh, as a minor character as well. But obviously later on, they became a, a playable race, which I then did play very briefly for a session with you, uh, which is a very, it was, again, we'll, we'll go on to the reasons why that's very interesting when we get delve into Kenku. Um, but Triton is a very interesting one for me because I'd, again, not really heard much about them before, but reading about them makes them very... Not bombastic, that's not the word, but they're very... Pompous bellends. <laughs> you know what? I couldn't have put it in any finer words, Sam. Oh, they're so irritating just reading it through. They're like, oh, 
I'd never invite one of these to a party. They'd be just like, yeah, yeah, I fought so many water elementals. I'm like yeah. the best, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you might have heard of me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll start at the top. Uh, so, Sam, you've okay. done a little bit of reading this. Maybe you could give us a quick like overview of what furbolgs are then. Off the top of your head, what, what is it to be a furbolg? Okay, so furbolgs are, as I mentioned, tall, nature-loving, tree-hugger-style things. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I probably usually describe the appearance of what we're talking about, yes. but the books don't describe or have any description of these characters of all of the ones we're talking about, which mm. I thought was quite weird. Mm. Uh, just illustrations. They say they're tall, yep. they say they're big, but they don't like say what they look like in any of the text or anything. But the, the illustrations kind of show them as being these big old humanoids, but with kind of bovine features, so kind yes. of big cow-like noses and big floppy ears and kind of dark colored kind of bluish skin. Yeah, no, no uh, description of what they look like. And they are very much one with nature, living as a society, protecting the forests and deterring outsiders, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's very interesting that they kind of have, they don't have names per se. Mm. And I guess not naive of the outside world, but very kind of separate to it in a way, but very friendly, mm -hmm. but not to other people. Kind of racist, actually. I actually, uh, very recently, both me and Ryan talked about the GIF, which we've seen in our campaign as the space hippos with muskets. Uh, <laughs> and reading about them, they're quite interesting because they are sort of a military organization stuff. And they are very xenophobic in the sense of they like being with their own kind. And they, they like, they'll deal with other people, but they think they're the best, essentially. Whereas here, you're right, furballs, they like keeping to themselves. But as you said, they are sort of, well, caretakers of the forest. They sort of look after the sacred place and they like striking this balance with nature. So very prone to being druidic, uh, living in sort of almost like a commune type style, taking what you need, essentially, is what I got from this. Like, you know, if there's no such thing as a greedy furbolg and any adventurers that come crashing through the wood is deemed to be unworthy of the sacred space or anything like that, they will be put upon. So then they are, you know, not aggressive, but they can hold their own, which I thought was interesting. And in a way, I imagine them to be a bit like, if you remember sort of in Lord of the Rings, the forests of Lothlovian, where the elves are just sort of there, uh, but always are sort of hidden. And that's, it was a really cool paragraph which talked about, you know if there's uh, furbolgs in the forest because it's just very quiet. There's no sound of wildlife, but it, it's like the unnerving quiet means that you have to leave, which I thought was quite an interesting thing. Yeah, because obviously, again, looking at the image, like you said, there's sort of this impression of like, compared to space hippos, it's like cow people. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> there's no nice way of putting Look this. Look at my udders. <laughs> but with the furbolgs, I like the idea that they are, they are stealthy, they are quiet. And it's that sort of an unnerving thing saying, well, we've allowed you to be in this forest for us. You know, the fact that you can see us means that we trust you, but you need to leave now. And I think mm -hmm. there was an interesting concept they had. So yeah, the sort of take what you need, but they had this thing where, yeah, they prefer the subtle sort of gentle approach rather than full on confrontation, which I thought was good. Again, it, it makes, it does give you that things like, oh, like you said, one with nature, uh, peace is the way forward and that sort of thing. And it goes into a little bit of detail about the different classes you can have. Is it likely you'll have furball barbarians? And it said, it's very unlikely. 
but that doesn't stop you you know it's it's one of yeah it's like i don't like that wording i find that really oh no i found it quite i don't like it when the books are oh you could play this but it's very unusual interesting Interesting. when it comes to a fantasy thing you just want to create what you create don't you Mm. i don't know what do you feel i think that's that's really interesting because i i guess for me because usually i don't know how it is for you because obviously you run uh, you run a lot more D&D than I do. I think as a DM, a lot of the times I run a lot of games for, for people who've never played the system before and never necessarily played D&D before. So I instantly limit the options a little bit because there's that thing of being overwhelmed completely. So if it was D&D, is it, oh, they want to play something that's a little bit more beyond the field of human, elf, dwarf, etc. Like, well, what about these? Ideally, here's the, their background. So you could do, you know, it's like sort of saying, do you want to be a person that shoots with magic or do you want to be a, a ranger? But like, if you're like, oh, you've got something in mind, well, they're more likely to be a ranger or a druid, etc. It's limiting the options. But I think like with all things that we've discussed on this podcast, actually, it shouldn't limit you. And you shouldn't. And it's a mixture of like, I think just being aware of when you when you read a character, you'd be like, this is cool. And you're like, OK, but what does it come with? Like, what's the background of it? How does your Furbolg adventurer fit with other adventurers? Like, what makes them different? Why are they adventuring? And I think you just need to put that in and then tweak it so it fits with your world. Because ultimately the book's there just to be like, here's a base of what they're, what we think they're like. But it can be whatever you want, really. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that. I was like, oh, noobs. But you're, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Being able to give someone a, a chapter and say, do you want to play as this whole deal mm. um, is incredibly helpful to people who, you know, who don't necessarily have the background to have that ability to create an entire character backstory and feel. Mm. But at the same time, there's not a lot of, I think, what struck me most... Uh, sorry, and we will go on to the other... Ca- sorry, I'm no, derailing no, this entirely do not, do now. Not, Sam, do not derail. Keep going. You're doing great. Uh, it's quite a compact chapter in a book that's predominantly aimed at Dungeon Masters to have mm. this kind of little segment on players. And compared to some of the other character creation chapters in supplemental books there's not much to help kickstart ideas i'd agreed. say agreed yeah. uh so like in modern canaan's tome of bows and sandifar's guide you have like examples of story hooks you could choose background tidbits and just lots of like little things just to make them unique i guess mm-hmm. uh, this book Bolo, does have like a few suggested bits and bobs but it's like what's your quirk mm. um, and it's not necessarily but- consistent between the races as well. So like like you were about to say, I'm sure this is what you're about to say. So with Furbolgs, it's very unlikely they'll go adventuring. And if they are adventuring, it's usually because they've been exiled from their family because social connection is really important to them. So either exiled or they're the only ones left or there's some other big reason. And the, this one is yeah, very sad. And this it has a table for adventuring for Furbolgs. Because again, just to give you an idea, I'm sure like could come up with your own ideas. But... I guess it's just making sure that like why it's a bit like you know if you're being the um it's what i call like the fable character so you're an orphan your parents are dead but it's okay because you're you're you know you have no connection stuff <laughs> at least with these sort of you you know you have the backstory you have the possibility of like well i do have a clan but i don't talk to them anymore and that could be like again story hooks for later and stuff so i think it's it's one of those things where I, I agree. I think there's, it's very limited in like what it gives you. It's like a little pocket bit of history about Furbolgs and then this and then the stats and that's it. It would be nice to have some more history about it. I, I mean, this is me. I don't know if you know, Sam, if, if they are in D&D from previous editions or if there's been more about them recently. 
and to go back actually sorry very quickly to what you're saying about like you could choose whatever class you're in obviously with the new Tasha's cauldron of everything they're now doing that thing where you don't apply negative stats and you can choose which is your plus stat so you can be the furbolg barbarian you just move the stats around what were you thinking in terms of furbolgs like in terms of characters you so you say you would you would try some different types of uh, uh classes to go with it then um you know me i like to be awkward that's good that's why you're on the podcast (laughs) i was thinking that you could have some like really good story hooks and just background stuff like what was the nature of the place where you grew up what was the forest like where you Mm. grew up was it fruits was it a kind of place like with nicking completely off critical role was it a place where people went to be rest their final rested Mm. place or it's something like that something where the trees I don't know, clean the water, something mm. like that. And now that that air is not running, the water has poisoned, you've got to find a cure for that, it's things like that. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Furbox, it's not necessarily a class that I would choose to play as. I don't know. Mm. Would you Would you ever play as a Furbox? Again, it's that sort of thing, because I, I don't play in many D&D campaigns of, of regularly, and if I do, it's a one-shot here and there. And I'm very boring, as you know, Sam. I'm like, yep. humans, <laughs> human or gnome, and that's it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> But I think it would be nice to try it. But like you said, I think I... I think I need to check myself sometimes with this sort of thing, because obviously the way the way it's described being a furball, it's about, you know, being a little bit more reserved, thinking about that balance, taking what you need. Like money doesn't mean anything to you, you know, like material goods, whatever. It's as long as, you know, as long as you have enough to get by. And I think the way D&D is in general, you know, it's a video game, you know, you've got the combat heavy stuff and then you've got, well, you've got paid for your, your things. Now you can live, whatever. So I think there's a lot of things you maybe need to justify with certain choices, but that may be a challenge. And I, I think I'd, I'd be interested to play it. I think, because it talks about uh, they are natural druids. So they'll have a little bit of spell casting, um, which I think could appeal to people who may not you know, be comfortable with like full on spell casting classes. Because I certainly am not. Um, you know, you try a wizard for a bit and it's uh, bloody terrifying. <laughs> the best. <laughs> um, so I think I think I would go for something maybe like a fighter or a ranger, which is not necessarily out there per se because you've got the strength of it and you've got a little bit of spell casting which is about disguising yourself essentially but other than that i, th- I think it'd be an interesting to try it but I, it maybe it just completely depends on the setting and making sure that the choices you make are in keeping with that sort of the lawful sort of neutral alignment that, uh, that you know because you're protecting the forest you're thinking of the balance of nature and stuff so yeah there's a lot to judge with that Mm-hmm. The best thing about them, though, yeah, I love their ability to speak to animals and plants, but not necessarily understand what they say in return. Yes, so that's the speech of beast and leaf, oh, isn't it? It's a wonderful concept, because the rest of the party are like, is he just talking to himself? Or... And I was thinking, you could do this with any character. Mm. You could just have a character who speaks to things as if he understands them. 
as a proper like RPG, uh, an RP choice completely. And they've got a really cool thing where they can, it's called Hidden Step, which we've seen used on Critical Role, whereas as a bonus action, they can make themselves invisible until the beginning of their next turn. So if you attack and then you're realizing you're in trouble, you just go, oh, and then you go <laughs> invisible and then run away so that you get disadvantaged and no one knows where you are and stuff. So that's quite a, a cool little like trick you can do, I think. I thought that was quite... Again, I don't know if any other, unless you're actually casting invisibility or thing, I don't know any other race that has that innateness to sort of suddenly hide themselves in the forest. So. No, and it seems quite bizarre because they're like seven feet. Just like, <laughs> hello, hold on. I'm stealthy. <laughs> <laughs> can't see me, can't see me. Wouldn't it be great? Like, oh, it reminds me of, um, oh, I can't remember which story it's from now, but it's like, you know, that whole thing is like, if it can't see you, you can't see it. So uh, I'm invisible. You know, the hands over his eyes and like, we can still see you. No, <laughs> and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Kenku then. So Sam, can you give us another sort of brief overview of what Kenku are yeah so kenku are as again there's not a huge amount of description what they look like but as illustrated they are this kind of avian kind of crow or raven style appearance um but without wings Mm -hmm. and the kind of the explanation of this is that their ancient ancestors were once i guess minions to a very powerful being Mm -hmm. who set them out to gain treasures and things but was it that they betrayed him and tried to keep some of the treasure for themselves, I think? Something like that? Yeah, something like that. Their, their greed got the most of them and they were planning to do something dreadful to their, their overlord, essentially, yeah. So kind of like magpies, they're overpowered by their need for shiny things. <laughs> and this powerful creature cursed them so that there was three things. There was one, they lose their wings. Mm-hmm. Second thing was they lose their voice and they can only mimic what they hear. Mm. And the third thing, which I haven't clocked until today, mm. is that they lose creativity. Yeah. Which, that, how do you roleplay that in a game of Dungeons & Dragons? Where you're like, oh, well, I have a great idea of getting into this fortress, but I'm a stupid, creativity-less creature, so I'm just going to stand there going, Grah! That that is literally it. It is it is one of those things where it's yeah, like you said, like bound to the earth. Yeah, can't use their voice, can only mimic the sounds they've heard. Oh, and they've lose the spark of creativity, and you're like, fuck. Uh, it's like as both you and I are very creative people, it's like, God, what must be that world like? You, you, you it's a grey world. There's no colour. There's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's like having a party full of accountants. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ryan, if you listen to this. Never listen. It's fine. It's fine. And it's very brutal how it described it as well. Like the spark of creativity was torn from their souls. And you're like, oh, God, that's so evocative as an image. But I think the reason that sort of comes into it quite a bit is that later on it talks about like, you know, what roles in society they have, uh, these Kenku. And it's mostly that they're sort of living on the outskirts. They are, like, as you said, they are attracted by the shiny things in life and maybe are prone to being uh, doing some more um, uncouth and unsavory roles. So <laughs> being burglars, spies, uh, messengers for feed skills and that sort of thing. But the thing about the creativity stuff is that so they can mimic anything, so any sound, and they can recreate stuff really, really well. Like um, craftsmanship is quite good, but they can't create anything new. All of it has to be copied. A reproduction of the original. And again, that's like, 
what's good about it in a in a way for the masters essentially is that these creatures can only give the information you give they can't twist it they can't change it so you can trust them to do it because they can't there's no way they can can change it and again because it, it, it talks about them being very good minions because obviously they they need someone to look after them and stuff because they can't do anything else so it's it's a fascinating i guess just a fascinating thing because compared to Furbolgs, who are you know good and protect the forest and stuff. Here on the other side, you've got the outskirts. They love material wealth because they like the shiny things, and they'll do anything to sort of get it in a way, like you said, like magpies. But they don't have the gift of describing it. They have to use the sounds and and stuff that they hear, which must make role playing quite difficult for them. Well, Sam, let's let's talk about let's talk about that. In, um, so we had a session. You invited me to a session where I decided, sod it, I'll play a Kenku. <laughs> and it, I think it talks about it a little bit in the book about how to role play. It did say like, look, you can create all these noises and stuff, but it's going to get irritating for not only you, <laughs> but for everyone. And I would agree with that absolutely. But then. I think it's a good third way because you know some people don't like necessarily role playing as themselves. Like you don't say, "Well, I'm going to act like this and I'm going to put on my big person's voice and shout at these people." Sometimes people narrate in the third person. So like uh, Sansa goes and looks out over the keep, etc. So this I think is a good way of doing because it, it describes it as like to show that you're bored. You make the sound of uh, a tongue's like taking its time, like boom. Bung, you know, and and then describing it like that to show your board. I guess you could always then, even then, just proper summarize it by saying, "Oh, TikTok," which was what my kanku was. Well, TikTok describes the plan, reiterates what the all the different options that that we've gone through in the last half an hour in great detail, doing both sides of the, of the conversation. I think there's two ways to go about it. I think I I find it hilarious when it's been short bits where so, you know they said oh, what are you and you just repeat back well, what are you and you have to do your best impression of the other players and see if they understand and then after that you can choose as the role player to be like describes this and makes the sounds of this and stuff like that so you can uh, put it out but again i guess it depends on how much effort you want to go into that not only as a as a player but as a dm as well because we, we've seen it on critical role where it can get very distracting you're like, well, we need to go on this mission, but we want to talk to we want to talk to Kiri, who's super cute, and says, kill other things. You know? <laughs> yeah, Matt really working hard with that one. Was there anything that you quite liked about a Kenku at all? Or is there anything that you're like, hmm, this is I mean, would you play a Kenku at all or have ones that aren't necessarily me in your campaign? I haven't played myself as one, but I think they're fantastic. I've had them not through my own homebrew choice, but in the What's it called the Dragon Heist Waterdeep? Mm. Your players come across a group of Kenku working for the Zentarum Black oh, yes. Black Guild of Criminals, and uh, my party are quite nice. They tend to capture sentient folk rather than just murder hoboing <laughs> anything that stands in their way. Um, <laughs> but it proved quite an interesting exercise in interrogation. So mm. they're like, "Where is your leader?" And they could only kind of reiterate the sounds of running water and then the players are like oh is that Ooh. is that the river or is that sewers or is Ooh. that and then if they're struggling you can add a bit more and your kenku mimics the sound of a gruff orcish angry man going 
take them to the sewers. And then they're like, ah, oh, yeah, sewers. Okay, let's go to the Got it. <laughs> I think the other thing I quite like about Kenku is because then it obviously, because it's like, well, why would a Kenku set out to be an adventurer and be sort of different to other Kenkus who would who would want to stay within a feeds guild or want to stay within a protection place of some sorts? And it talks about like either again the flock that they're a part of has suffered heavy losses. So you're like, oh god, again, um, little orphan Kenku coming out to play, <laughs> or a wary Kenku has grown tired of crime. I thought, ooh. That'll be cool. Like it's slightly older. Again, they don't live. They only live to like sixty years old, so it's quite a short time span. But an older Kenku who's like, "Fuck this!" Like a proper Witcher esque, like on crime. Like, uh, <sighs> crime doesn't pay. <laughs> like, I just yeah, yeah. I like that. Those uh, individual Kenkus who become adventurers are. You know, ambitious and daring and willing to try stuff. And actually, one thing we've not mentioned is that the main sort of driving force for Kenku, compared to like Thurbolgs are going, we must protect the forest, take what you need. The thing they care about more than material and shiny things is to be able to fly again and to get their wings back in some respect. And that's like an inherent little thing that they have. It means that they will happily live in the top of towers. They will, they will happily go places that are very, very high. But if they got a choice, they would want to you know, learn how to fly again or get some ability to fly in some way. And I thought that would be an interesting, like, um, again, if they got something like the wings of flying or some, or being, or, or learning spell casting to fly would be quite interesting as well. Again, another sort of story hook going to that. Their only mission is to learn how to be higher than other Kenku would be really interesting, I thought. I also thought their other kind of driving force is that they need companions in order to gain more for their soundboard yes. i guess of things that are happening <laughs> so you could have a kenku who seeks out places where they can hear things so that they can communicate better so mm. i was thinking would you have kenkus who served at bard or theaters because <gasps> of just Ooh. the number of noises and people and talking and then would you get kenkus who travel to struggling to think of anywhere else now but they'd be like recording sounds of rare things like monsters and bird calls as a scholar to then Mm -hmm. return to a library and being able to recite a pigeon sounds like this oh i don't know no i think i think that's that's really cool actually that's yeah that they're actually more than just messengers they are information gatherers like from what you described then i was like thinking you know maybe not not as maybe interesting but working in a tavern but overhearing conversations and be like oh Audrey you know that sort of like gossip column-esque type thing or oh, like the uh like the weird little baby like creature in Shira. what happened to that in the end anyway we could discuss Shira, we could discuss later. Shira later but Shira is really good <laughs> I think the only thing I wanted to quickly add on um, Kenku so yeah so they don't live very long uh they're chaotic neutral which makes sense that they they are just bananas as birds in general and a lore to themselves but their naming system so we talked a little bit about names for furbolgs being sort of like usually furbolgs adopt elvish names or is about their role or function and stuff with um with kenku there's like three different categories which essentially is the noises that weapons make so you'd be like if it's the sound of like a slash of a sword you'd be able to call them slasher or basher or something like that animal noises so like if they're recreating like a, i don't know a lion or a tiger or something it's like growler or, or growler or something like that 
not growler. Growler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't, don't call it that. <laughs> and then the the one that I I quite like is the <laughs> the one I quite like is the noises of craft. So um, if it's like tongs and a hammer, like the the making of the like blacksmiths, you know, smithy and craftsmanship. So that's why for me, I was like, what basically what sort of onomatic peer noises are there you know like boing and like uh whoosh boing. <laughs> i don't know well, like, but that's the thing like so that's why i thought TikTok was quite a good yeah one. That, that was great name for a game or you can describe it as it's like oh they you say what's your name and they just make the sound of a ticking clock and you're like we'll call you TikTok. <laughs> so yeah so I, I just thought it's quite nice a different way of thinking about names that are just sound only and obviously there are cultures in the world that you know don't have names as we know them. They are just the way your the tongue uh, clicks and, and and moves and stuff. So I thought this is quite it's something a little bit different. So the last thing I had on Kenku, right, is that their mimicry is like a shared trait with other creatures in mythology. Uh, so I think like is it the Wendigo who can mimic the sound of like crying babies or something? Oh yes, I think it is the Wendigo actually. It's so terrifying. if if you're an adventurer going into a forest and then you suddenly hear a crying baby or someone trying to lure you into the forest, like Geralt would be, hmm, probably Wendigo, we should go. <laughs> and there's just like a Kenku giggling in the, behind the shrubs or something. Wendigos are pretty, from my, you know, a long time ago, but possibly really recent, su uh, supernatural. They're Wendigos in every fucking season. They're, they are terrifying <laughs> creatures. Uh, but I like that. Yeah, using it as a way to lure people in. And then maybe like the bandit camp that the Kenkus are part of springs a trap on those people. So, like, if, if you call out, like, help, save me, help, help. And then people, you know, the Avengers rush in and then it's a, a big trap thanks to, to Kenku. They're like, oh. Let's talk about Tritons, Sam. Sam, what, what have we got on Tritons? Oh, you're making me describe all of the dudes, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. Tritons are pompous sea people <laughs> by all accounts. They initially inhabited, and uh, correct me if I get any of this wrong, that they initially inhabited the plane of water. So one of these other kind of otherworldly dimensions, which is... Mm -hmm just mostly, if not all, water of various nature, so rain, storms, and seas. And their entire deal was hunting down and killing water in elementals, these kind of sentient beings of evil water, where mm -hmm. they're just hunting them down and fighting them down into the, the crushing depths of this plane where the water is so the pressure is so heavy that they can continue their quarry to kill these things mm. off. And for a while, they were all, yeah, we're the best. We kill so many water elementals. We're on it. <laughs> and then somehow, I'm not sure if it's explained in the book, but they figure out that the water elementals have just thought, well, sod being here, we're being harassed by these assholes. We're going to go to the normal plane of existence and just piss off mortals. So after this has happened, they're like, oh, well... It's a bit bored now. You know, we haven't got any water elementals to hunt down and then brag about hunting. Let's go to the normal plane and kill them there. Yeah, might, might as well. Yeah. And then boast about how amazing we are to all the people we meet. Yes. It's so 
weird. I genuinely had never heard of Tritons before, and in reading, it, I was like, oh. And I literally wrote down in my notes because it, it, it's one of the um, it's one of the subheadings with haughty uh, nobles. Haughty is a good word. Yes, and it properly describes it. Like we were joking before, like you know, like it feels very yah, like oh yah, we just um, we just went down and just killed some water elementals. No biggie, haha. But literally, it feels like that a lot because obviously, you, when you think of sort of uh, merfolk or any sort of folk of the sea, you're thinking mermaids, you're thinking that sort of very King Triton and his daughters, that sort of thing. And looking at, again, a really good illustration as well, you see this, these are creatures of the depths. They are very, they are humanoid, but they've got the scales, they are very blue skin, blue, like... Um, Gills? Gills. Fangs on their necks, no. Uh, frilly, frilly bit, dorsal fin style things. Mm. Yeah, like all around them. So they again, they look very un- otherworldly, which I think is always cool. Like very alien, essentially. So if you saw one up and about in the world above, um, it is quite a, a peculiar sight. And I again, it's one of those things where I assume they would be quite rare. And actually, all of these creatures, I think they would be quite rare in some places because obviously they're they're very well hidden, or they they are because of their job or because of the way they are. And Tritons, I just think they just don't like going on land. They're like, well, they talk about like not understanding the world above because obviously, they're like, well, you've heard of us. We don't need to hear of you. That's sort of, again, a very almost not xenophobic, but that's a, well, we're great. Well, we won't bother ourselves. We won't concern ourselves with your concerns. Like, why would anyone want to be out of the water? Uh, there's, mm. there's a great thing it talked about because um, they obviously they can control water and air to an extent they they can cast fog cloud and stuff but i love the idea that they really their sort of their arrogance compounds the the tendency not to understand the surface world so again in this one they have a great uh, quirks table which <laughs> some of these wings are just like the first one is that you phrase requests as orders you expect to be obeyed like jeez <laughs> And actually, I, when I was thinking about like, well, where else would you see sort of this type of personality? And I was thinking you could see it in like Thor, when like the way that Thor sort of presents it as, well, yes, quick Jane, you must help me. And they're like, who the fuck are you? Like that sort of, <laughs> that sort of, because um, obviously, you know, they are great warriors and stuff and they protected the, the depths, but because they've done such a good job, no one knows who there are. They are. Oh, the, the other one I quite liked was that you have learnt an equated version of common and drop the thee and thou into your speech. Oh, so again, that very pretentious, almost Shakespearean, like thou must finish what you're doing or something like that, like proper like performance style. So yeah, I just, I just, just something about them being the champions of the sea, but being so big-headed and almost diva-ish in a way. I just. <laughs> <laughs> I like the line, which is they don't quite understand how on the surface world you can't go up and down <laughs> only forwards of <laughs> so it's like this doesn't seem to work. It's very um what's he called? The guy in the IT crowd, the boss, that's played by uh, uh, Mike Berry, is like father. Like again, it's that sort of like, I don't know, why is it not working? Speak to the box. The box, the internet box. Oh, they'd make great I suppose you couldn't make them villains, but, well, you could, of course. It's all guidelines, but you could make them, like, obnoxious frenemies or something like Mm. that. So, like, you're on the sea, and there they're going, how dare you move your boat over my sea? Do you have permission? (laughs) (laughs) They're described as their sort of alignment is uh, lawful good. Uh, So they do follow, like, a code of conduct. So I guess they'd be very good for, like, like, paladins, for example, or anything like that. 
but and it's how I see paladins as well. It's like they have a notion of what they think is good and what they think is right, but it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone thinks it's the same thing. So again, that sort yeah. of thing where, like, could you imagine if it was like some sort of horrific bureaucratic thing where you get served a notice from the local Triton saying like you have encrenched your fishing boats on our land, so we we are requesting you to stop it, and they're like. <laughs> No, who the fuck are you? We've never seen you before, you know. Or you could do like um, at the beginning of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where it turns out that Arthur's house is going to get demolished. And he said, Well, you've had months to uh, put in a planning complaint that we're going to flood your entire city. I mean, it's been in the local sea post office. <laughs> yeah, but we can't breathe underwater. Well, if you have developed diving helmets, it's your. Uh, yeah, you should have thought of that. That sort of because ultimately <laughs> it does say that they are, you know, benevolent. Ooh, words are not good. They're good <laughs> creatures at heart. <laughs> benevolent. Benevolent. It's, it's there's a benevolent in the room, <laughs> but they are good creatures at heart. Like you know, you can play it if you want to have a villain Triton. I'm sure that's fine as well. But I, again, I like the idea. It feels again better for a role play aspect that these people want to do good. They just don't understand different cultures. And it feels, again, very, very sort of a little bit like the GIF in a way, very British in a sense of like when you go to a different country, in order to communicate, you speak louder rather than necessarily learning the, the actual language. I think that Tritons must do that quite a bit, you know, <laughs> like because they've got common and primordial, but they're probably like, oh, hello, yes, welcome. <laughs> That's sort of like, hello, do you speak common? <laughs> like, yes, oh, good. <laughs> What I thought was quite interesting, sort of the other sort of tail end of that. So they are, they fight for the good and they, you know, the caretakers of the sea, etc. But because of this arrogance about people should know who they are, but they don't know who anyone else is, like they don't concern themselves with matters of land and stuff, is that they are quite vulnerable to encountering creatures for the first time. And so they may be like more likely to be sort of not necessarily friendly towards them, but they might underestimate encounters and stuff like oh it's easy we can deal with this and then you know it's someone who uses gunpowder or it's someone who has a lot of magic like oh 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 dear so it gives them that sort of vulnerability as well a good sort of another point to sort of go into role play etc i mean was there anything that stood out for you in terms of tritons in general like would you ever play one or are you thinking they're too haughty for you i'd be more tempted to play as a sea elf I think, which were in, mm. were in a different book because they're mechanically almost identical, actually. Oh, really? How I interesting. Think, uh, well, from what I vaguely recall and the quick Google, they're quite similar, but I don't know. I just like the sea elf history of being like, oh, living on the ground sucks. Let's go live in the sea. <laughs> Get and in they've, the sea. <laughs> they've got the same elvish haughtiness, but I don't know. They seem less jock bra. Again, looking at the traits for Tritons, so they live up to 200 years, so they, they're around for a little bit longer than, than the others. I like the fact that they are slightly shorter than humans. They have <laughs> they have a very sort of, not, not short person complex, but, you know, that sort of thing where you're like, oh, really? You defend the sea? That, that sort of, I just have that in my head. But then also, similar to Furbolgs, where they're sort of being able to communicate, they can communicate simple ideas with beasts that breathe water, which I thought would be quite interesting, again, that you just talk to starfish and they like, come, friend, let's go. And it's like, you know, it's, uh, again, I just, just imagine just having companions with you and you're just covered in fish. You're like, I don't understand. I tried to tell them to go away and they just clung on to me, you know? Imagine walking through a fishing village. It'd be like slaughtered, like, no, my oh, friend. It's like, Gary, no. 
<laughs> Why? <laughs> the key thing, actually, throughout all the trades, because obviously some you've got your kenkus have the mimicry thing, so they can deceive a lot better. You've got um, furbolgs who can who can go invisible for bonus action. The key thing with tritons is this sort of guardian of the depths, which I think is actually quite significant. It's resistance to cold damage, which is good. And then no drawbacks caused by deep underwater environments, which we've not really necessarily played with ourselves. But if you were playing a campaign which a lot of it was underwater and you was going to go very, very deep, there are rules about like, okay, concentration checks or, or like the crushing things, you might need to have magic protection to stop you doing that. So tritons don't need that at all, which I thought was, it's, again, it's interesting to have, but the, couple that with the resistance to cold damage, I think that would be quite good. Because we've, I think we've suffered that as well when we've gone... When we played in our campaign, we've gone deep into what and we've suffered cold damage, not necessarily the crushing damage. A lot, yeah, a lot dependent on your DM and how they're going to play things out. But yeah, that is interesting. But the thing as a spellcaster character player uh, that I love the most is their control air and water ability. Yes. Yeah. Where they, is it level five? They can cast Wall of Water once per day or something? Yeah, and which is a spell that they, that's they been put in... I assume it's been put in other books as well, but it's actually there in the thing. Do you want to just quickly describe it, Sam? You conjure up a Wall of Water on the ground at a point you can see within range. And it's, it's the usual kind of massive, one foot thick, ten feet high, thirty feet long wall... And it stops, kind of makes ranged weapon attacks through it kind of tricky, and mm. fire damage is halved. Personally speaking, it just like visually, just to <laughs> describe this massive wall of water, that's, that's so cool to be able to do that, even if it's not the most powerful of spells. But this is the thing, because all it needs is literally a drop of water, so you could get like your water skin out, and, stuff, and then you probably could do it on land, or on, the, on your ship, so you could stop any sort of incoming like attacks you could put out any fires uh, around you to play so i think absolutely it's like a very powerful i guess compared to say wall of fire and maybe to an extent mold earth i know because obviously you can do that as well it isn't as destructive because obviously the fire sort of burns everything around you and people can get caught in it mold earth you change the, the scape around you when you're like oops whoops it looks a bit of a mess afterwards with water <laughs> then you can stop things like hitting you and like even if it gets turned into a wall of ice then that's like a proper protective barrier but then it'll all melt away and it's not necessarily i don't know it's, it's a different way of, of, of putting things as well i'm sure there's like a, a wall of air as well like another elemental type which is just really blowy and nothing gets through i can't see it being used in the ocean itself it's something i assume you'd have to be on land for because otherwise it's just a bit pointless because then everything's a wall of water <laughs> in the sea <laughs> But considering the number of fire-breathing characters in D&D... That's true. Would, ...would be useful. Oh, brilliant. So those are sort of the three, uh, three out of quite a few races in Volo's Guide, something a little bit different they might want to, uh, to come across. So, Sam, I'm going to really press you now. If, oh, God. <laughs> if, you were, if you were going to, in your next D&D session, let's say, say your Thursday lot, if you had to put in an NPC of these, one of these three, and it, it doesn't have to be, let's say, related, like, oh, they're, got, they're going to be in the ocean or anything like that. Which one of these would you more likely to put in, would you say? As things that my players would encounter, I would definitely go for the furballs because mm. I really like their concept of being actively private and protective as a society. So if my players had a, an objective that was in the forest, 
they confine themselves very subtly with signs and kind of ways magically being deterred from proceeding. Mm. So it could create this interesting conflict of interest. Uh, they don't want to upset whatever this mysterious entity of the forest is that's very politely trying to push them in a different path. Yeah. But at the same time, they know if they don't proceed, I don't know something even worse could happen. Something bad could actually happen to the forest. So, you know, that kind of, well, we're going to have to be bad to be good. Mm. No, I like that. I like that. There is something about fur bogs because they're so gentle compared to, say, this the weird suspiciousness of the Kenku and then the haughtiness of the Tritons. And then to come across a genuinely nice, like, wholesome, I'd say, and humble creature, it can really put players on the other foot because they're like, oh, they're not trying to kill us. They're not trying to get rid of us. They're, they're just really nice people. There's something must be wrong. You know, that's... <laughs> I think for me, like, I remember I played in a, a one-shot or ages ago, and we were set on a ship, and there was someone who was playing a Trident. It was a very clever idea, I thought. Basically, their Trident was on holiday. Uh, they were going on a... <laughs> <laughs> they, they were pretty much a, a gap yard person and obviously they'd be like oh yeah we're, we're like like you know trying doing the sights and whatnot and the re only reason they were on the ship was because they were just uh sunbathing and trying out this new concept they're like oh this is great yeah yeah i'm really liking the the sight tinge on my scales yeah and then obviously we're coming into things like oh i don't understand well that's something that you do yeah 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 that's yeah, sort of a very yard girl a valley s type thing and it was really entertaining to watch because i was like i had no idea what tritons were i was like god is such a weird concept i love it I, I, but again it's one of those things where i don't know if it would work for a campaign and with all these mm. things i think the ones that work well for campaigns are a longer longer term sessions so three or four sessions perhaps would be furballs over kenku which are which i love kenku i think they're great but it is a little bit more work because you have to describe more things rather than just say what you mean keep that flavor up and then tritons i mean there's only so much haughty nobleness that we can all keep in our lives and, and role play i guess you could do something like a noble who's fallen from grace that same kind of exile but add to it that they've lost their ability to breathe underwater oh yeah so get rid of the amphibious sort of trait yeah. that they have yeah yeah so they're like oh no not for me thanks no mm -mm. <laughs> until they've They've learnt how to return to their kingdom feels, or something. So it feels very Little Mermaid-esque in a way. Oh, yeah, I guess so. No, 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 but in, in a good way. Like, they still have their voice, but they can't breathe underwater. So, no, I, I like never that. watch Little Mermaid. Well, there's going to be, like, the, the, the remake of it coming out in, like, next year or two. Okay. So the live-action <laughs> remake we can all watch. Uh, sh sure. 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 I mean, I've avoided... Aquaman have avoided the shape of water. I'm probably going to avoid Little Mermaid. That's I've got true. no points of reference. <laughs> yeah, true. I'd, I'd completely forgotten that Aquaman was a thing. I have to be honest. It looks, it looks, it's just a very, very shiny torso. That's all I remember from the poster. <laughs> I'm surprised that didn't suck you in to watch the film. Hey, to be honest. Hey, I, I'm a woman with taste. <laughs> I'm not attracted by shiny things, honest. <laughs> not a Kenku. Not a Kenku. So, Sam, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about three different races and the role-playing things. I guess, is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything, anything you'd recommend? Uh, where can we find you on the internet if we want to find you on the internet? Um, Put you on oh, the spot now. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have a social online presence really like you or, or Ryan, but um, 
Yeah, just there's this great other podcast I keep hearing about called What Am I Rolling? <laughs> Have you? I, yeah, no, I've heard of it. I can go into more detail about that. <laughs> <laughs> so my name is Fiona and I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, a twice monthly RPG one-shot podcast. Um, oh, it's you. It's, it's me. you who does that. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't want to be like, oh, clang, it's me. Um, doing very well. Uh the Call of Cthulhu stuff has been out for a couple of weeks now. Um, really good. Uh, my mother really enjoyed our accent, Sam. So good oh, job. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and she she must be being truthful because she wouldn't be nice on purpose. Like, no. but yeah, that's out. So if you if I know this is obviously it's past Halloween now at this point, but if you're interested in spooky, scary tales about underwater creatures, we're recording this in the past, Sam. Remember? I know. I just. I just... <laughs> But if you're if you're really into your underwater creatures and spookiness, then obviously come come listen to that. We've obviously yourself is on that, and obviously another co-host, uh, David's been on that as well. Uh, we've got a few others coming up. We've got Sleepaway, which is a camp counselor, summer camp counselor sort of RPG where you you're basically fighting off more cryptics, uh, cryptids, um, fighting off more monsters. Words, I don't know. It's, it's a Saturday afternoon. We're tired. Take three. <laughs> uh, so we've got that. Um, we've got a thing called Slug Blaster, which is essentially um, uh, if you really into your skateboarding RPGs, but also like portaling to other multiple dimensions, that's also a thing. And that's an RPG now, which I'm running. Wow, that sounds incredible. <laughs> it's it's great. I've had to look up Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 to look at the names of tricks. <laughs> it's... But, uh, but yeah, so that will be coming out in the next couple of months. Oh, I also do improv, Clang. I, I, I do, uh, I've done various sort of shows online, but more importantly, I've been doing a show called uh, Revenge of the Werewolf, which Sam has very kindly, as my dutiful number one fan, watched my parts in it and then turned off the other parts, which I appreciate as a performer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't turn it off. I just turn the sound right now. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, oh, Fiona's back, turn up. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you, talk to you, do something with you next time. Brilliant. Great. Bye. Bye. <laughs>